from a mission standpoint, I get to do what I feel is impactful to the community. I mean, I just came back from the Czech Republic talking to the generals, the colonels, and the leadership of the military for our special operations committee. I mean, for God's sake, I'm a librarian and I'm a keynote speaker talking to a general, close as I could be talking to you right now. And I'm cracking jokes about chat GPT and I'm talking to him about the impact of teaching this. And, and I walk up the stage and it's not about, well, look at me and my notoriety. It's about Maybe I saved somebody's life in the field. Hey guys, if you missed out on the last conference in Nashville, Tennessee, you don't want to miss out on the next one. It's April 28th through May 3rd, Orlando, Florida, the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center. You made a mistake missing the last one. You don't want that to happen again on this one. Five days of some of the best training you're ever going to experience packed into one event. We have an early bird special right now, $50 off. Use 24 early bird on our website, streetcop.com. Look for the conference, click the link, register today. If you want to get significantly better at this profession in five days, don't dare miss out on the 2024 Street Cop Conference. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Mino, and today I have with us Cynthia Hetherington. You go by Cindy or Cynthia? I'm a Cynthia. Okay. We go by Sin? Yeah, I've been a Sin. <laughs> Cindy's a little blonde-haired girl and the Brady Bunch. You are really dating yourself, Sin. <laughs> All right, so do you want me to read your bio or you want to just give us the Reader's Digest version? Your choice. You know, I'll, I'll drop down a couple key points there. Um, I am dating myself. I've been in, I've run my company for 24 years. I've been in investigation and intelligence for 30. Uh, I started out as a public librarian in Northern New Jersey. So honestly, the guy that was a sergeant at the local PD at Teaneck became the chief and has retired many, many years since then. And we bump into each other at socials and events now and we laugh, you know, you were walking to be, and I was pushing books and look at us now. Uh, the, the company manages intelligence and investigations for the Fortune 500 companies, particularly the Fortune 100. So we have the largest brand names and customers that you can see. You see them on TV, you drink their coffee, you visit their places with their families. Um, it's because we provide a very unique and intense uh, service, monitoring, due diligence, digital or virtual uh, enhancement or removal of your information off the internet. Uh, Courts to this though, the law enforcement community has always been where my heart is because uh, what would a librarian be doing in this sector? It was the first cybercrime investigators, literally the guys with 386 and 46 computers coming out of the New Jersey State Police and the NYPD and California, North Carolina, all the ICAC, what became ICAC cops, found them, they found me, and we just supported each other. On the federal side, that would have been Electronic Crimes Task Force, InfraGuard, so FBI, Secret Service, uh, ATF, DEA, and then now we're very involved with DOD and the intel community, helping and supporting them. So we get to have a lot of fun. I got 30 people back in my little church in northern New Jersey running an intel company. And, uh, you know, when I'm not doing that, I'm traveling the world and I'm training in this space. I also run and own an association for open source intelligence investigators called Osmosis, which is wildly popular now because it's in its 10th year. And we're definitely breaching close to 5,000 members. 
How do you go from a librarian to a businesswoman? Tell me about that. It's painful. I should be retired right now. I should be living in a subdivision in a gated community in Florida. But what happened is back, especially back in Phoenix Library, I was one of the first adopters of the internet in the whole community, in the library world or anything. I mean, we're talking the early 90s. Google didn't exist. I was Google. You had a question, you came to me. So cops and private detectives, they come to the library and they would say, hey, I need to know an answer to a question because they're trying to solve a problem. And the one cop I remember came in, it was really, I mean, it was a thrill for us. I'm handing out books on Marco Polo, the kids and consumer report guides on refrigerators. But this cop comes in and he goes, I got this ring. It's a class ring. It was part of the, the stuff we salvaged out of this big robbery. And I want to find out where this class ring goes because I know where this school ring attaches to. Maybe we know where it was robbed from. And I grab a directory right from behind my reference desk. And it's called the Patterson's Directory of Education. It's every school listed by name. But that's what a reference librarian does is they have answers to questions. All we do, we play Jeopardy all day long. So we grab the book. I find the school, I hand it to him. He's like, this is great. And the next thing I know, more cops are coming in because I'm that helpful librarian. I mean, Grant, it didn't hurt that I was, you know, 20 something years old and I thought a mini skirt was formal wear in the office, but <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was just a throw a minute. I also got really involved in technology early on. I was the one who was bringing the internet into the library. So I was pulling category five, setting up um, Pentium computers and getting all of our local libraries in the Bergen County, PCA County area online and on the internet. Just not afraid, just, you know, stupid kid, just thought I could get it done. And I did it and immediately got a lot of recognition from the law enforcement community. You know, the five cyber cops we had said, hey, we think you're interesting. We'd like you to come in and, and talk to us. So I did. And 30 years and I'm still talking to you. <laughs> so what did you talk? Like, what were the resources back then uh, to be able to do investigations? I'm thinking about like, what was it like Netscape, right? Wasn't that? Well, even before then, any online detective work was done with um, the Social Security Death Index, select phone or phone disk, and this will ping some of the listeners because they will remember these, and you had a six CD-ROM Panasonic four-speed player, and you would, you would do bounty hunting and fugitive recovery off of that. It would take an hour for the CD to churn through all the U.S. and Canada, but you would be able to pull that information down and be able to, to do something you couldn't do. You had to do it in phone books or get in a car and drive someplace. So the, the, the progression of that moved from the five, you know, sources that were on CD-ROM into databases. We had LexisNexis, we had Dun & Bradstreet, we had um, Edgar by the SEC. We were doing high finance investigations and fraud, but for the policing world, we would be able to go and do just to reach out. Just email alone was like a, a resource. Like where you could say, Hey, I, I got a guy in Boise. I could drop him an email. He's a cybercrime investigator. The early, real early adopters for police was the national white collar crime center nw3c.org, which is still out there relevant and prevalent for us and search.org. Uh, both of these are DOJ sponsored training agencies. Uh, they're, they've always been putting out resources. So for every new website that came out, we had a tool to do investigations. So it goes from there, you're teaching cops, and then it goes into what after that? Well, the law enforcement community, we're still teaching cops. They're still out there as much as we can. 
the big trend lately has been, and, and it's, it's interesting to watch the flow of money come from the federal government and into this space because we still train the same thing. Like, hey, Dennis, you have a cell phone, a browser on your cell phone, an internet connection. This is how you get done what you need to get. It builds if you have tools and resources, if you have a budget, but I've never been in front of an agency, you know, the bureau included, that's ever had as many resources as we do. So we always teach the fundamentals. This is how you get something out of Google. This is how you milk the most out of some online directory that might just be weird, but pop up, you know, how to use a, the not.com for wedding registries to figure out the mafioso connections of a girl that's getting married in the family, you know, like all those fundamental tradecraft things are going to always beat the tools out. We were no kidding. I was probably at one of the first or second electronic crime task force meetings at the world trade center showing them and it's the website still up there virtuallibrarian.com i built them a website and said here you go here's the 200 websites you can find information i left it up there because it's corny as anything because it all dates back to the year 2000 but sure enough it was there and then we just keep building and building now what happened is this is good for me all my cops had excellent careers retired and then became the directors of corporate security at all these companies and they brought me with them so that staying power has really kind of been resilient and has really brought me in. Like I say, in the last three years, the Department of Defense, their budget has gone insane for open source intelligence. And I do know and love and respect that many of my police officers, former military, so they get it. They know how that shift and change happens, how that common language helps. So whether you're wearing one uniform or another, it doesn't matter to me, teaching you those Tradecraft fundamentals is really what's key for getting you, you know, better able. So the idea that you're going to start a company, start hiring people to be on a team, that comes to fruition pretty quickly, I'm assuming? Uh, we started back in, um, the company officially formed in 1999, but in private detective industry, you have to apprentice for five years. So I worked with a private eye out of Chicago, mostly actually doing software coding and development because I've always had a tech side to me, but, uh, you know, he was every, every person in this industry that's ever brought me up has been generous, honest, and sincere. I, I don't have a lot of the story of like the inner struggle and me fighting the man. It, like, no, the man opened the door and helped me out and brought me into the industry. And I think that comes from just being honest and, uh, having a common mission set alignment, you know? So like, if you tell me treat cop is all about making the world a safer place, we are friends. If it's, we're about getting money in our pocket and, you know, generating revenue and hitting a price. Yeah. Don't talk to me. And I've always been very mission oriented, making the world a safer place from a little company. In 2006, a bunch of Monmouth County cops, former sheriffs and, and, you know, professionals had already left the law enforcement community, had gone into consulting. They pulled me into a very large company, which I joined with them because they're just a lot of fun to hang out with. And that took me from being a really solid, mediocre private eye out of North Jersey to a world class. I'm working Enron. I'm working big name cases. My name is out there because I could pit, um, pivot off of the big brand that we're with. But that lasted about two years. I rolled back into my own company. I thank you very much. It was great working with you all. I had a nice contract. I was going to go sit on the beach. I was going to have a good time. The day after I went back to my old office, 
I got the Bernie Madoff case dropped in my lap. So I've just been running with scissors or building the plane as, you know, as I'm flying it since then. Um, the pandemic actually helped even spur it even further. Or we grew 300% over that time because I went into the, oh, dear Lord, what are we going to do? We're a service industry. Who's going to hire us? And I just found the right client and ended up hiring three times the amount of people I needed. And we're, we're still going. We are still going. What's it like to own and operate your own business? Tell me about the yeah. good and the bad. And I'm going to, I'm going to preface it with, why don't you answer the good first that I'll, I'll preface the bad with the, um, with a you thing I heard recently from, uh, from a guy. So this girl, she, I, I forgot her name, uh, but she buys businesses. Um, she's getting a lot of notoriety on social media for advising of buying businesses. And I'll tell you what she said. And it made a lot of sense to me, but tell me about the good first. Um, the good is that you get to, from a mission standpoint, I get to do what I feel is impactful to the community. I mean, I just came back from the Czech Republic talking to the generals, the colonels, and the leadership of the military for our special operations committee. I mean, for God's sake, I'm a librarian and I'm a keynote speaker talking to a general, close as I could be talking to you right now. And I'm cracking jokes about chat GPT and I'm talking to him about the impact of teaching this. And, and I walk off the stage and it's not about, well, look at me and my notoriety. You know, the marketing people take good care of that for me. It's about maybe I saved somebody's life in the field. I mean, for good, goodness sake, I'll use, use good words here. You know, maybe, maybe somebody gets intelligence training they need and they could spot a drone coming in. Or I, I don't know what they're going to do with my knowledge, but maybe they're going to do that. And I have gotten letters from cops over the years that have said, you know, I've changed lives for them. And that's, I don't want acknowledgement. I don't want my name in life. The only reason I even got my name out there is because I've been in this a long time and I've been asked to step up for young girls who might want to be in this industry and not, and can't see themselves there because they don't look, they look like me and they don't look like you. And I said, all right, I'll, I could do that now. And I'm also protected enough where I don't have to worry about a small librarian out of Northern New Jersey who could be a target because I push against some pretty, pretty bad actors out there. Um, but at the end of the day, again, it's about doing the good and having impact. And then honestly, it's about my team creating jobs for people who really love doing this and making those introductions and having those aha moments. And, you know, I've had staff members. I had a kid who was so, he was, you know, came into work, he did the job, he punched out, he took the paycheck. It was hard to really fire up and get inspired. And eventually he went to another company and I totally got it. It made sense what he was doing. It was a great move. I was the one who basically said, you need to do this. This is closer to home for you. This is more aligned with what you want to do. You know, I was, I walked him out the door with that in the back and I said, you know, keep me apprised of your future. And I remember on a bad day about six months ago, we were having a really hard day. And out of nowhere, this kid drops me a text message and he's like, Cynthia, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the opportunity. I want to thank you for getting me started. I want to thank you for giving me a chance. I want to thank you for seeing something in me. And now I'm moving on. I mean, he has his daughters at home that he's supporting. You know, if there's a family, he's a young guy, he's in the National Guard. He's, you know, he's doing so much for, for him, his own community, that I had a little bit of impact. That outshines the rough days, the constant travel, the grueling schedule, the BS feedback. Every day. Right, before week. you go into that, I'm gonna I wanna let me know how this strikes a chord with you. And I I again she's a very well known girl now. She's her social media is blowing up. 
uh, her father was an entrepreneur and she said, my father told me, if you're not at least every so often holding your head in your hand and saying, what the fuck are we going to do now? Are you even, you're not even an entrepreneur or in business. So I see you're laughing to that. Maybe you could, maybe you could tell us about some of that, because I think that people, you know, see all the, um, all the good stuff, <laughs> but I think, I think that's, uh, have you, have you had those moments? No, not at all. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, it's hysterical. Last week, uh, where was I? I was going somewhere between, I was flying back from training and Michigan, which was lovely this time of year. And I had to fly back and I had to pick up a meeting in DC. It was a big event for a great organization. Picked up the president of the company. He's a new addition. So that that's something different for me, you know, giving up control of things. And we were in an Uber and my head was pretty much between my knees at this point because it was just crushing what I was being pulled in to do and all the extra stuff. And um, this man, uh, he has served our country in ways that they make movies about. Okay. So he, like, I don't complain in front of him because I'm like, you know, thank you for sacrificing so much for us, for God and country. But I was just having a moment and he's like, Cynthia, it's okay. You don't have to do it all. And I'm like, no, I do. If I'm going to say that I'm going to get them done, it'll get done. And she'd get that too. She knows that we put more pressure on ourselves than the people around us ever would. She knows that we will always hold ourselves to a higher standard. If we tell our team that we're going to be, you know, meeting in the office at eight, we will be there at seven 30. We'll be there at seven and we'll be working out. You know, we're going to always a real entrepreneur when you're really, really in it, it's not thinking about your paycheck and your vacations. You're thinking about your staff, your community, and are you delivering on a promise? And that's, I really feel it's like a lot of the law enforcement community you know, and especially in today's world where, you know, street cops have a harder job than they did as I was growing up. And I so respect, gosh, I so respect what they do. And the ones that are going into the academies now, they see it. I'm like, God, this, this ain't going to be easy. It ain't going to be me, you know, throwing on a uniform and going out there. That They're all entrepreneurs as far as I'm concerned because they come in with the same goal and mission set. And um, yeah, when I stop working hard for them, I stop. I'm done. I'm out. What if you could name one thing was the most challenging thing in owning and operating a business for over two decades? There's going to be a moment where you're just like, you kind of look up and you're like, you know what? Fuck this. Right? Like, I don't know why I got myself into this shit. I could have just been a fucking librarian like everybody else. I could have just... Been, no, yeah. I'm sorry. You're right. I, I, I keep saying I, I could have just... I could have just, uh, you know, been a librarian in a small town, collecting a little civic pension, doing that. Um, my company was bought out overnight by a very large firm in 06, I mentioned. And I basically named my price. And it was a boodle of dollars. And it, the problem wasn't so much of owning the company. It was giving up my company and my autonomy. Because what happened was they were they got the brand. They were the owner. And they didn't do things the way I did. So when I told them, well, I go out and train law enforcement and I do it for free and I'll make sure that I bring people in there and there's no money for you. And they're like, well, no, you don't do that anymore. And I'm like, well, no, because I can't. 
And it was, there was a night, I remember walking around my neighborhood, like, and I used to read newsletters for cops because I was trying to keep them up to date on what I was doing. And I couldn't email the 50,000 I got in my email. So I would write a newsletter and just throw it. And I mean, it's pre-blogging and all that. And they were like, no. And the guy who brought me in to talk to me was a former prosecutor, you know, so he worked with and amongst people. <laughs> and he's, this, he was soulless, you know, he was one of those guys where you realize like, you wore the same color, but you don't come from the same skin. And he's like, I don't understand how you make business. I don't understand how you get these people to call you. And I'm like, because I'm genuine and you're not. And I called him on it and I, I was going to walk away from, you know, half a million dollars, but I couldn't, I couldn't break my integrity. I couldn't do it. I couldn't say for the money, I'll do just do what he wants. And he relented and he pushed back and he realized I'm not going to win here. Um, and shockingly enough, the whole project, the whole team fell to, fell to shambles because it was always built on something that wasn't mission oriented. It was based on money. But uh, finding those people of character are rare. And that's why I brought a president on this year because he's one of those guys. So, you know, it's the second hardest thing. And probably when I look back, this will be the thing I really talk about. Saying to somebody, I trust and value you so much. I know you this much, but I trust and value you this much because I know where you come from and I know what your people are like and I know what it took for you to do that job. Here's my company. Here's the child I've raised for 20 years. You have the full autonomy and license to do what you want. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> and he is stuck to that. And it's been hard because, you know, we've brought people on and we've let people go and we've made big changes. And I've just kind of sat back and said, you, you were given its authority. You won't screw this up and you'll do it. And it's been a blessing. Entrepreneurs need to understand and business owners need to realize that they can't do it all. Know what you know well, be the face of your company because you always espouse a mission, but then really surround yourself with really talented individuals as soon as you can. So the prosecutor or ex-prosecutor guy that you sold the company to, did you end up buying the company back and that deal fell through? Is that how we get rid of him? How'd you he was um he was just a senior level manager, the company, and it's it's public knowledge. So the company that bought me out was Aon. Um there was no buying or selling. It's just you rolled in and you rolled out. Uh, there was nothing to compete with because they canceled the entire investigative intelligence. I was a managing director of intelligence for that. So once I left and exited, they didn't have a product there. So I just, I learned a couple of tricks from other business owners before I, I jumped in. Always keep your business phone number. You could change your name around a million times. Hold on to the phone number that everybody knows you by. because. Dennis, we're talking now, six months or six years from now, you might be like, I know a girl. And you're going to look in your cell phone because you're never going to delete those contacts and you're going to call me. That's how I picked up the Bernie Madoff case. Days out. And uh, he, he moved on to other consulting gigs. You know, he's doing something somewhere, I'm supposing. But uh, there's a lot of intrigue beyond what was going on there at the company that I learned after I got in that, you know, probably would have still taken the adventure because I, I will throw myself into something good, bad, or indifferent so long I'm not doing evil. But uh, I don't know that I would have given him as much license ahead of time. Hey guys, follow us on all social media platforms to include Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook group. We have so much information going out every single day and we don't want you to miss out on any of that stuff. So check it out. Go give us a follow. I'm just, I'm just self-reflecting on all this stuff. <laughs>
and people don't realize it like it gets taxing it is uh it gets taxing at times and i've you know, talked about this before and so i think there's just uh i think that people have when they're owning a business and there is some success there's there's good days and there's bad days you know for me fortunately enough there's better there's a lot more good days than there are bad days but you know they happen right you got to be able to roll with the punches uh do you have people that you think actively try to like run interference for you out of jealousy do you good i'll let you answer that so a light bulb go off no you know because that's a great question um there are people out there who would jump in front of a bullet for me so there's there's folks out there who i feel so protected and so loved by this community and it's like you get what you give that's very true it's the law enforcement community it's the military community it's the private detective community um, but there are definitely, you know, the, the more recognition I've gotten, especially in OSINT, that's, you know, my my world now. It's I used to call it advanced and that advanced internet investigation. As soon as I started using the acronym, I started popping up on people's radar. Like, wait a minute, what's she teaching? Well, we want to compete with her. I, I have found the best exercise is to create collaboration. I have called out people who are saying terrible things or trying to diminish me. And I have called them up. I have confronted them. But not with anger. It's just been like, and I, I remember this one moment, this one gal, she was really threatened by my teaching. And respectfully so. I have a very large network. I mean, LinkedIn alone is 50,000 connections. And she doesn't. You know, so she came at me like a gnat. And I said, you know, this is not the time to show my strength. This is the time to show my compassion. And I called her up and I was like, how's everything going? How's your class coming? You know what? I'm teaching this class for like an hour. I'm not teaching it for four days like you do. Give me your give me your run up. Give me the link to your class. And when I'm my mouth is talking, it's going to say that people need to go take your four day class. I'm going to promote you. I'm not going to step on you. And that worked brilliantly. I got a friend. I didn't get a foe. Someone who could have just created a lot of anger for me and just a lot of anxiety for me. She ended up you know, doing amazing things. We've, we've collaborated on other projects, you know, is she going to ever have, no, I have 30 people behind me. I've got an amazing crew of people. I've got real talent. I got some killers in there who would totally run people over if I asked them to. But the truth of it is, is that I'm a librarian first. And we always believe that we should share our information. We should make a, a great um, information should be a great qualifier of talent. And we're only going to be stronger together. If if people are talking in my ear, otherwise I'm not listening. Have you found that there has been people that don't want a friendship and maybe in just a bad place themselves, and they just want to, you know, just be a scutch? There's a nice New Jersey word for you. <laughs> Scutches. Well, you know, I just got off a call with another fellow before, and we were talking about there's a journalist out there who wrote a terrible article that was pretty fabricated and he he's got a mission out there he's he's a hack journalist uh we out of our location a group called skull games of which i'm a board member skull games works in uh using open source intelligence to combat human trafficking it's run by former commander jeff Teague from uh tier one community in the special operations world so like this this fellow showed up at our event we had a hundred law enforcement oh new jersey state police came up i mean like we had this really great synergy of talented individuals uh just we're all 
using open source to identify where human traffickers were, create some case summaries, and hand that off to our policing agencies. And it's all organized and it's done properly and we're not overreaching. We're not digging in on people's lives or, you know, there's two sides to this. And this is what I told the journalist as I was gently walking him out. You want me to walk you out. You don't want one of those guys to walk you out because you won't come out with your limbs. I walk you out. It'll be with a smile and we'll have a great compassionate conversation. I said, but look, you're on two sides of this. You either want to stop predators from hurting kids and trafficking human beings or you are one. There is no gray zone. You either are evil or you aren't. And that's that's a very clear line right there. So if you choose to write a negative article about this, I know what side of the fence you're on. And I, I'm not ashamed to say I'm a little faith-based. No, I'm very faith-based. I mean, my business operates out of a church. <laughs> so it looks like 21 Jump Street at my office. But, uh, but sure enough, uh, you know, I believe that if we keep doing good and we keep following what our goals and our integrity state and what our mission is stand for, the rest of the stuff will work itself out. Don't don't get caught up in the gray. The gray will bring you down. Mm-hmm. You got to go through the gray to know what the gray is, right? Yeah, you you sh- you certainly need to feel it. I mean, from from my contact with and and speaking with law enforcement officers from all over the country, all over the world, actually, I've been all the way up to the Hague, Singapore, Colombia. You know, there's some some really quality quality professionals out there, and they all say somewhat the same thing. They're like, you know what? You train all the time. You train, train, train. And then you earn your, you earn your salary that one day a year, you know, as the police officer, hopefully, hopefully it's just the one day, you know, hopefully you go through a whole career and you don't have to, but I mean, I've got some cops who have done some really, really hard calls necessary and impactful to themselves, their families and the community. But if it wasn't for them, what, what could have the outcome been, you know, really lives lost, uh, children hurt, people people treating each other horribly. And so we ask our law enforcement community to to, to fit in that gray area all the time. Um, one of the groups I sponsor and I'd love to give a shout out to is Raven. Raven is a non, uh, it's actually a lobbyist organization run by former uh, New Jersey command, ICAT commander, uh, which supports the ICAT community because talk about working in a gray area these folks sit there and look at the worst crime you could possibly imagine day in and day out. They create case files for court. We prosecute and lightly convict pedophiles and who are trading in child pornography. And yet we ask these cops to work with no resources, very little technology that's actually applicable and zero mental health support. So when a person is looking at kitty porn all day long, and I'm not going to use the branded CSAM because that just makes something sound like it's just another tech term. When you're looking at babies being raped and nobody's on the other side of that, giving them the support, shame on you. So we went to, and our leadership there has gone to Congress several times and has testified and has asked congressmen, please help us improve the work life of these officers to do this type of crime. You know, it starts with them and then it goes all the way down to the cop, you know, the Community-oriented policing, the person who gets to see that poor individual on the street corner every day, and you know they need mental health support, but your community isn't offering it, or you don't have someone you could pass them off to, or you know they're just going to cycle through an emergency room. So we ask a lot of your community. Keep keep in mind, and it's like my community is well provided for. We have wealth. We have customers who have outcomes. 
you know, we don't suffer. We sleep at night and anything that gets really ugly, we'll pass to you. But then we turn to the law enforcement community and ask you to do the same damn job. We don't give you proper budget. You're fighting for every hour you've got. And, you know, we're, we're grateful. You know, we throw a parade for you once a year, but, you know, we just don't really back it up. And, and I'm all about that's why since the day I started, I've been behind the blue the whole time. You know, I'm here because of law enforcement and I'll retire thanking them. It's questionable at time where our priorities are in society. <laughs> Understatement. <laughs> Put a pin on that one. And and by the way, just as guilty. You know, I'm just as guilty as as considering some things a priority and other things not. And I think the reality is, you know, one, we're human beings, so we have to be a little forgiving to ourselves. But two, you know, how many things can one person take on? It's all, it almost brings me to the idea and the thought of like, let's say somebody all of a sudden is raising money for for Alzheimer's, doing an Alzheimer's walk. Well, you know, there's there's a thousand different nonprofit organizations you can work with, but it's probably a direct affecting their life disease and that's why they've gotten behind it you couldn't expect that same person to get behind every single thing that that's out there so uh you know what's the thoughts behind that in your opinion about what do we do first how do we how do we have conversations like this where do we put our energy and effort and are we selfish for indulging in things that are in some sense unnecessary in american society you think about it right like how much change we could make for other people in this world if we were a little less selfish? It's a much bigger question. And that's why I always go back to latching on to what my North Star is so that if I get lost and I do get lost, just like they all do, if I know that, you know, where's my choice? Do I do this or do this? And I'm like, will this make the world a different place? No, this just makes me happy. Okay, is being happy for five minutes or a day gonna give me a downtime so that I could come back and be better tomorrow? Yeah, so I'll take that. Like yesterday was my first day off in about six weeks, legitimately a, a day of rest, a down day, not a travel day, not a, and actually I was on two calls. So, but I took the time I took, I took. And that seems like a selfish act because I could have been busy doing other things. And I was like, nope, if I don't take this, I will be angry going into work the next day and I'll need to you know, someone won't get 100% of me. So it's it's important to self-nurture. And it seems like we're in a society now that's both is over-promoting the self-nurturing. Like everybody should have a meditation 20 minutes a day. I'm like, are you kidding me, 20 minutes? You know, everyone should have a full hour in the gym. Everyone should have, like by the time you do all the things you should have, you don't have any time to be a productive citizen. Now I'm a capitalist. Let's not get me wrong. If I can line up for the 25th hour in a day, I will. And I will backfill it with all kinds of productive things. But at the same token, if none of that is tied to what my mission is, then it's wasted time as far as I'm concerned. If it's not productive towards me making this place safer, then it's absolutely a waste of my time and I will step away from it. And that's a hard call because there's a lot of fun things going on out in the world. And, you know, I'm a I'm a lady of a certain age and all the other housewives want me to go do silly things and have fun little antics. And I'm like, purposeless, useless, a time waste. And I will sit there and I will not want to hang with you. Mm -hmm. But if I could go to 
you know, a football game and it's a fundraiser at the same time for a nonprofit I believe in could be Alzheimer's could be law enforcement or military related, then I'm all in because I know that my participation carries with it a little bit of gravitas that goes back to a bigger community. The problem with talking with me is I'm always turned on. I don't know how to turn off. So I'm not a good example, or maybe I'm the perfect example of what maybe not all entrepreneurs should be like. After 25 years, I don't know any different. I can relate to the idea that you probably don't belong in most social circles just don't fit in. Yeah. I get it. Me too. And the question I have for you is who is your social circle if if you don't fit in anywhere? Ah, uh, that's kind of a fun one. It's always work related. <laughs> so I'll um it's it's the first responder community. And yet I'm outside of it because I've never been an actual first responder. I don't think librarians qualify. <laughs> yeah. Librarian who learned CPR. Okay. So I'm it. Right. But, but, uh, I'm always, I'm a very much, um, on all those Myers Briggs and all those tests they put me here. I'm, I've always been quite an out there, uh, hyper, hyper enthusiastic, overeducated, you know, condition oriented producing son of a bitch. But that first responder community is good. Family, of course, is always going to be good. Um, my family is a bunch of entrepreneurs, though, so they get me. And then, you know, my work. Uh, there's not a lot of socializing. So I can't say that I'm, like, catching up with chums and doing things. Skull Games is a great social environment for me. You know, because they're just as nerdy, geeky, and driven as I am. You know, and they come from all over. Our manager of Intel is a former operator out of the Canadian Special Forces. You know, our our senior leader is a former unit. Well, both of them are senior unit leaders. Um, our other board members are made up of DIA and Joe Scaramucci is from Texas Police. And, you know, these are folks that I like immediately bonded with, although we come from all different walks and backgrounds. What about your family? You have children? <laughs> and my OPSEC just went right up. <laughs> so, uh, no. <laughs> no, I have, a, I have a family. I do. Of course, they all come from somewhere, mm -hmm. right? So, North Jersey family. Uh, husband is a firefighter. And my beloved, and whom I do everything for, unfortunately, <laughs> sadly enough, is my dog. I, I bought a building for her so we can have a big place for her to play Frisbee. I bring her to work every day. She's a, and everybody brings their dogs into work. So we all have this big festive fur environment. You know, we're all walking around knocking fur off of her. You know, nobody wears black anymore to the office, but uh, we do have, we have a great community there. So, and church, you know, church is always, can't believe I didn't speak to church. Church is always a big community to be with too. I don't socialize with them, but me and God were pretty tight. Somebody asked me this weekend if I was a religious person. And I said, well, my kids asked me recently, <clears throat> they were in the car last week. And uh, my second born, which you know, is like almost eight now, he's like, well, what religion are we? And I'm like, good thing we're uh, good thing we're sending you to CCD, my man. <laughs> like, I'm like, you're, you're, you're Roman Catholic. He's like, does that mean we believe in God? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, what does that mean? I go, listen, he goes, he goes, are you Roman Catholic? I said, your father. There's one thing God likes. You don't got to identify as anything. What I can tell you is God likes good human beings. 
All right. And that's it. So I, I don't, I'm somebody who goes against the grain. I'm really not somebody who likes to go with the crowd. Uh, I respect other people's beliefs. Um, I, I don't know if I necessarily identify as anything, to be quite honest with you. I identify as being a good human being for everybody else and and being a much more selfless, giving person than the average Joe. And I try to explain this to my kids. I go, that's what God likes. Because uh, I got to tell you, some of the biggest pieces of shit I know go to church every Sunday. Well, you know. You know it. So, yes. Do one to okay. others. You know what? There's, there, there are 10 rules. Um, you know, I grew up RC too. I'm a North Jersey Italian girl. Of course I did. But, and I, and I like the celebration. I mean, it's just comforting. It's comforting. It's nice to have something to fall back on when like everything's feeling really dire. You know, you got your prayers, you got your masses, you got your things and, and you could be you and him, but do unto others, be a good person. Don't be a piece of shit. <laughs> you know, that's pretty much it. You know, I, it doesn't matter what happens in your life. One thing that you always have is your reputation. And, it, you know, life will have its ups and downs. And you just got to go back to yourself and say, you know, I, I might have some things going on right now, but I have never been a person who has not done for others. And so that's a really nice way to fall back on things. And I'm trying to really instill that in my children as well. Matter of fact, I say to them, you should be thanking me because I'm the guy who negotiated with your mother to make sure you guys stopped going to CCD at second grade because once you make communion, I, you know, I said to her, I was like, what are we going to do? This kid, you're torturing these fucking kids. I was yeah. going, I, I, I was tortured going to CCD. They're miserable. It's a nightmare. Um, you know, why don't you let them decide? We'll do the communion thing. Everybody get the pictures. All the ants can show up and they're, you know, with their uh, pendants pinned to their shirts or whatever the fuck old ladies do. Right. And, and, and the reality is, is like, let them decide if they want to go to get co confirmed later on or, or, you know, get the point of it. Like, dude, so I, like, I always tell them, like, you boys should be worshiping the ground I walk on because I got you guys done at second grade. You could have been yeah. looking at six more years of this. <laughs> Cynthia, I mean, we go to school for 12 years. Tell me how much you remember from 12 years of school compared to 12 years of education you've done post school. Oh, God, no. You know what? The one class that worked for me was typing. I always joke. I'm like, of all the classes I had typing, because like keyboarding, you know, learning how to type fast was, was like that. That class actually worked out for me. You know, everything else is a blur. And I went to Catholic school the first six years until they asked me to leave. And then I went to public school when I was like, "Ooh, this is this is cool." But uh, I do my own self study, my own finding. But then again, librarians tend to be that way. We tend to really, you know, stop. And and I was. I went to uh, four New Jersey colleges. Uh, the second one was Montclair. It was a philosophy and religious studies. So big questions are really what I love to get into and have, you know, good debates and great ethical dilemmas solved and, and talk about God and epistemology and all that fun stuff. But it really comes down then as to like what you're talking about. If you truly follow your heart and you follow what you think of as a good thing and you're kind to your, to your neighbor, I mean, how could you go wrong? How could you go wrong? I mean, if your job is to jump in front of or pull the trigger, I mean, but you're doing it because there's a mission behind it that's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. How could you go wrong? You can't. We ask you to do a job and you do a job. Every day I do a job and people look at me and I'm like, oh, I've got highlights, little librarian, you know, running a little investigative company out of her church. Like, dude, I handle the Fortune 50 Intelligence Command. <laughs> That trained fucking DOD. 
like the stuff that I'm seeing you doing every day is like me with a smile going, that's very nice. Thank you very much. Okay. Please jump out of that airplane. You know, you, you got to know that's why if you lose sight of where your big mission is, please take a step back, reorg with your thoughts, come back to whoever you call your higher power and get that right. And people do like, we do have a crisis of faith and sometimes you just have a crisis of personality. And I definitely see a lot of young um, military and especially law enforcement who are, you know, they're dealing with bureaucracy. They're not fighting a guy or a girl in leadership who's just a jerk. It's an entire bureaucratic nightmare that's coming down on them. Like I did a lot of work in with the West Coast police agencies, especially during the riots. So, you know, you're Portland, you're Seattle. And, and I had like people were on for 15, 20 years and they were just watching everything they ever worked hard for crumble underneath them because cops were, I mean, they were burning your precincts, you know, and there was a lot of come to Jesus calls with them where I said, you know, just remember what you're doing impacts things. You're still saving kids. You're still protecting your neighborhood. You're still doing the right thing. When it comes down to that final, you know, call, you know, you did your job that you had to do, you know, they'll never be held accountable. They won't, they'll escape, they'll get away with it. But there's a there's a next level afterwards. It's the gate, and all the audits happen there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you ain't kidding. I think that was a really good point to leave on. Um, it was. I hope you uh, stay in touch, and hope we could do things together in the future. Obviously, in the same space here. And you're yeah. from New Jersey. I knew you were from New Jersey when I heard you laugh. I was like, "This yeah. motherfucker's from New Jersey." Born and like born, raised, bred, never moved far from home. No, I, I know. I grab a coffee or a cocktail with you one day. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And I got to tell you, as soon as I heard you laugh, I'm like, she's got to be from New Jersey. Like, you, you get, nobody laughs like that anywhere outside of this country. Like, you have the most atypical New Jersey laugh. I, I'm going to try to figure out what that is now. I didn't know we had one. Yeah, it's in the beginning. You haven't repeated it yet. In the beginning, you laughed a certain way. I'm like, yeah, she's, she's from Jersey. Got to be from Jersey. I love that. Anyway, oh, all know- right, I'm going to roll. This was fantastic. Stay in touch. I'll make sure you get my cell phone number and let me know. Dennis, thank you so much. Thanks for everything you do. And thanks to your community. Thanks, Cynthia. Safe travels. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, guys, check out our upcoming training at streetcop.com. Don't forget, we have 50 instructors nationally teaching a variety of topics. These are the best classes you're going to experience in your career. We make sure of it. You're going to love it. I guarantee you, you're going to be thankful that you went. Check us out at streetcop.com for all upcoming classes in your area.